One of the great questions people have wondered about over the centuries is what was Jesus like as a regular man? The stories we have about Jesus in the Bible don't tell us much at all about Jesus as someone you could know as your neighbor or your friend. He never seems like someone you would invite over for a barbecue or sit around and talk about a local sports team with. So there has been, especially in the last couple of centuries, a search, if you will, for Jesus the man. But that wasn't the case back in Jesus's day. Back then, everyone knew him just as a regular guy. He was a carpenter's son, and he lived in a small local village. The issue then was, is Jesus any different from anyone else? And the book of Mark was written specifically to show us that, yes, Jesus is different from everyone else. In fact, there is a moment near the beginning of the book of Mark where Jesus and his disciples were crossing a lake, and Jesus had fallen asleep in the boat, and suddenly a terrible storm came up, and all of the disciples thought they were going to drown. And so they woke Jesus up and Jesus simply said, be still. And the storm stopped and the overwhelmed disciples all looked at one another and they asked this question, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And from that point on, for chapter after chapter in the book of Mark, we're given moments with Jesus where we learn two things. First, we learn a whole lot more about who this man is. And we see then that even though Jesus is powerful and he's authoritative, authoritative enough to have control over things like the demon world, which we'll see in today's message, Jesus is still someone who knows each of us intimately. And the book of Mark shows us in great detail that each of us is known. From the book of Matthew, quoting the prophet Isaiah, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Today we are kicking off a new series that we're calling Known. It's a four-week series that will focus on four specific moments in the book of Mark where Jesus encounters an individual who presents with some kind of immediate and obvious need. A need for physical healing or for restoration or in today's case, a need for deliverance. But in addition to their overt needs, each person we'll meet in this series also has a hidden, less obvious need. And Jesus in his great love for that individual sees far beyond the surface of their need. He sees the bigger picture. He sees the whole person. And he knows them. So we're calling this series Known. Over the next four weeks, we will see that when Jesus restores, he restores completely. He works in ways to show us that he knows us thoroughly. In his compassion and his love for us, he sees far beyond the surface of our need. He sees us, the whole person. We are known and loved by the one who has authority over all things. He is Jesus, our great defender. 
And so if you will, would you turn with me to Mark chapter five, if you're using the house Bible, and I see some of you reaching for those house Bibles, that's page 833. And while you're flipping to Mark chapter five, of course I wanna say hello to those of you who are joining us online right now. Thank you for choosing to tune in. I've gotten to talk to many of you out there, some of you who surprised me. I didn't know that some folks from my hometown watch this church service all the time. So welcome, thanks for being out there. Thank you for being here. And to all of you who were able to make it to church this morning, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming and for being here and being the great assembly that's gathered this morning. Thank you for being here. So we're just gonna dive right in because there is so much to unpack with this one scripture passage. We're just getting right to it. Mark chapter five. Mark, the writer of this gospel, was not one of the original 12 disciples. He was actually Peter's interpreter and scribe. And Peter, as most of you will know, was one of the original 12 disciples who followed Jesus and witnessed his miracles firsthand. The Gospel of Mark is actually a collection of the memories and observations of Peter. Mark was documenting Peter's recollections of his time with Jesus. And as Pastor Tim mentioned in the video you just saw, the Gospel of Mark is largely centered around one burning question, and that is, who is this man? That's the question that the stunned disciples asked right after they had seen Jesus calm the wind and the waves, calm the storm. They asked each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The stories that we will read in the coming weeks are there to answer that question. Who is this man? And the story that we'll look at today begins at the start of Mark chapter five in verse one. Now some of your Bibles may have a heading at the top of that chapter, mine does. Mine says, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. That is intense. It's going to be an intense story. There's no way around that. But remember that Mark is writing for Peter and Peter was a pretty intense guy. He was bold and he was brash and he was a firsthand witness to this supernatural event. And Peter wants us to know that this guy we're about to read about, this guy was consumed by a kind of evil that was utterly destroying his life. And we don't know the specifics of how he ended up that way or for how long he had been afflicted by this kind of evil all we're told is that this man was completely consumed and tormented by the presence of something that was truly demonic and evil. It is a heavy story. It's not a light way to kick off a new series. And I'm aware that there are some middle school students in our midst. Uh, shout out to you if you are a middle school student joining us here or online. Fuse, our middle school ministry, has been taking a break to kind of re-up for the school year. And so that means that our middle school kids have been able to party with the cool kids in big church all summer long. So I know you guys have just had a blast. Um, but in order to help us tell the story today and sort of as a nod to the middle schoolers among us or maybe some of the adults among us, we'll be getting some help this morning from the Brick Bible. And if you haven't heard of the Brick Bible, it's a couple years old by now. Uh, it is basically a graphic novel of Lego images that tell the story of the scripture. 
the Bible as told by Legos. My mom got a copy for my kids when they were very little. I would say they were far too little for a copy of the Brick Bible because it gets, again, pretty graphic in Lego terms, especially the Old Testament. Some wild stuff, wild stuff in the Old Testament. So, buyer beware, you've been forewarned. This is not an advertisement for the Brick Bible. However, it will help us to tell the story this morning. So jump right in, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. See, you love it already. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. And we're going to pause already. We're only two verses in, and we have to take our first pause. Remember that Jesus had just calmed the storm at the end of chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples are still in that very boat. They just reached the other side of the sea. And I'm immediately struck by a detail that we read in verse 2. A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. And for me, that immediately begged the question, why? Why would he do that? And side note, I asked myself that question, why? over and over again as I studied this story. And you might ask yourself that question too, especially as we get deeper into this story, into this passage. There's just a lot in there that just kind of makes you say, why? Why did you do it that way? Or why did that happen? And I just want to tell you that it is okay to ask why. In fact, I think it's more than okay. I think that God welcomes our wrestling I think he welcomes our wrestling. Don't ever be afraid to be honest with your father. Remember that he already knows you. He knows you. He knows us. He knows when something doesn't make sense to us. He knows when we're struggling with something that we just don't understand. He already knows. So go ahead and feel free to ask, what is this? Ask why. I asked why this demon-possessed man would voluntarily come out of the tombs to meet Jesus. Especially as you'll see later in the story, he doesn't want to be delivered. He wants to be left alone. So if he wanted to be left alone, why did he come out of the tombs to meet Jesus? Why didn't he just stay hidden? Why didn't he hide? And my answer came in the form of a question. Could it be? that the very presence of Jesus drives darkness out from its hiding place. When Jesus came ashore, the evil knew that it was busted. Game over. Darkness has no place to hide in the light of God's radiant glory. It was, as the prophet Isaiah had said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. This man with many demons literally lived in the land where death casts its shadow. He lived in the tombs among dead bodies. But for him, on this day, a great light had come. Jesus is the light that drives out darkness. We continue reading in verse 3. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. 
Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. I like that one. We'll we'll pause here again because this begged another question. Why had this man been restrained with chains and shackles? There's nothing in the text that says this man was a criminal. There's nothing in the text that tells us he was violent toward other people. The text says no one was strong enough to subdue him. So the question is why? Why were they trying to subdue him? And I think the answer is found in verse 5. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. He was self-harming. I think that this man had become a terrible danger to himself. He had been so consumed by evil forces that he was self-destructing. And I think the people of the town tried to chain him up for his own good. It was all they knew to keep him from harming himself. Maybe they tried to subdue him when they saw him mercilessly slashing and mutilating his flesh. So he went away. Evil had driven him to the cold, dark isolation of the tombs on the far outskirts of town where he could be alone to continue to self-destruct, to continue to torture himself without anyone intervening, where he could live among the dead in the darkest kind of darkness. Until that is. The day the light came ashore. Darkness had no place to hide. For those who lived in the land where death casts a shadow, Isaiah said, a light has shined. Jesus is the light that drives out darkness. And can I tell you, darkness knows that. Look what happens in verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There is quite a bit going on in this interaction. First we see the man bowing low before Jesus, but this was no bow of reverent worship. This was an act of desperation by a cowardly evil spirit who knew that it was in the presence of somebody far superior to it. It shrieked at the top of its lungs. In the Greek, it is tiamikisi. That's a common expression in the Greek that means, what to me and to you? Basically, what business do you have with me? The demon shrieks at the top of its lungs. Why are you messing with me? And then it mocks Jesus, calling him Jesus Son of the Most High God, calling Jesus by his first name would be like 
you know, calling the president or king by his first name. It was too familiar. It was definitely a disrespectful act. It was as though the demon was saying, I know all about you, Jesus. I know who you are. And the part about calling him the son of the most high God, well, that was no show of respect either. Because that phrase, the most high God, was only used by Gentiles who believed that Israel's God was just one of many, many, many other gods. This was a slam on God and a way to mock Jesus. And after mocking Jesus to his face, the evil spirit has the gall to beg him for mercy. It said, I beg you, don't torture me. Now, I don't need to tell you how slimy that is. That this spirit had been so mercilessly torturing this man for so many years, but it was now the one begging not to be tortured. And Jesus demands to know its name. This was an assertion of authority over this evil spirit. This was letting the demon know who was in control, who had the power. And the demon said its name was Legion. The word legion was a Roman military term that described an infantry of about 6,000 soldiers. The demon was suggesting that there were thousands of evil spirits infesting this man. It was as though the demon was saying, look, you don't want to mess with this guy because it's an army of us up in here. There are more of us than there are of you. There are thousands, thousands of us. Was it just trying to intimidate Jesus? Was it lying? We all know the devil is a liar. Was it lying? Was it exaggerating? We don't know. But we do know that from this point onward in the story, the language changes from singular to plural. Watch what happens in verse 11. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into the pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. That's my favorite slide of this entire sermon. (laughs) Because we don't like that part. We don't like the part about the pigs drowning. They were innocent in all of this. In our modern times, we have a much different view of swine than they did in ancient days. We tend to sympathize with the pigs in the story. But in order to see the picture of what's happening here, we've got to take off our 21st century Western cultural lenses for a moment, put ourselves in the story, and try to see things the way that they would have been perceived in ancient times. Obviously, some things were very, very different back then than they are today. For instance, Jews considered pigs to be absolutely vile creatures, filthy and unclean. I tried to think of a a modern equivalent in the animal world today, something that would generally be considered by most nasty or unclean or undesirable. I asked a coworker earlier this week, I'm just going to call him out. I asked Tyler Bender earlier this week, what what animal comes to mind when you think of an animal that is just generally considered gross and detestable, and without skipping a beat, he looked me in the eye and said, a hairless cat. (laughs) 
which is not at all what I would have chosen because I think hairless cats are a little bit cute. They're kind of cute. They're not like cuddly, but they're cute. That's not the animal that comes to my mind. The animal that came to my mind that is generally considered utterly gross, and I know that there are exceptions out there. Don't come for me. But the animal that's generally considered disgusting is rats. Rats. I hear some amens out there about these rats. Gross. Rats are generally considered gross by our society. And so pigs in Jewish culture were like rats are to many of us today. Filthy and undesirable. They would not have sympathized with the pigs. They didn't want pigs anywhere near them any more than we would want 2,000 rats anywhere near us. To the Jews with Jesus on the boat that day, this would have been a victory. But to the Gentile pig herders, this would have been a different story. They just lost their livestock. Side note, this was used to feed the Roman army. They just lost their livestock, and they were afraid that they'd be punished. However, there is a belief that both Jews and Gentiles held in common, and this is important. They both believed that demons could be killed by drowning. That's important, because that means that this human being who had been so infested with and tortured by these evil spirits had now been swept clean on the inside. And those demons who were causing all the chaos and the destruction in this man's life were driven out, and they were drowned. They were exterminated. And the chaos that these demons had caused that had totally ravaged this man, that chaos now broke loose into this herd of 2,000 pigs. The scene was absolute chaos and disorder. You can picture it. And my fellow Bible nerds out there might be able to tell where this is going. Where did all of that chaos end up? It was driven into the sea. The sea, which is so often used in the Bible as a symbol for chaos and disorder. And so through this ancient lens, the story reads like this. Evil was driven out and sent back where it belongs, drowned in the chaos of the sea. Jesus had so completely delivered this man that his demons weren't just cast out, they were annihilated. This was a victory. Jesus was this man's great defender. This man who no one could save, this man who couldn't even save himself, this man who was destitute and naked and mutilated and completely ostracized. For this man, Jesus took on the forces of evil. For this man, Jesus was driven by compassion. Jesus is the light that drives out darkness. Jesus' power and authority and love and compassion brought freedom to this man once and for all. End of story, right? Well, it could have ended there, but there's still that thing about the pigs and the livelihood and the herders. Verse 14, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and soon a crowd had gathered around Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. 
And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Remember, these pigs had been grazing on a hillside that was on top of the tombs. This means that there were rotting dead bodies right where these pigs were grazing, and nobody wants to live near dead bodies. So these herdsmen had to run a distance to get to the nearest town to get any kind of help. And as they ran, they were screaming and yelling that something horrible had just happened. They were freaking out, yelling and running through the town, and of course all that commotion drew the curious townspeople, and they had to go see for themselves what these people were raving about. And when they got there, they saw Jesus. And they saw the man who they had thought was beyond hope. The man that no one could chain or subdue. The man who mutilated himself and howled day and night. That man, that same man, that lost cause, was now sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And the townspeople rejoiced. That is how I want this story to end. That is not how it ended. I wanted them to throw a feast and to thank Jesus and to, you know, name a town after him for the way that he just completely restored this man's life in a miraculous way, but that is not at all what happened. The people were just so freaked out, they asked Jesus to leave. Leave him alone. They were fine. Get this, this is important. They were fine with having one tortured soul living a comfortable distance away from them but they were not fine with having their lives interrupted. This man's life had been miraculously given back to him, but that is not what concerned these villagers. They didn't want this man, Jesus, to further disrupt their lives, so they begged him to leave, and Jesus complied. As Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, no, go home, to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed, amazed at what he told them. You know, there's been a lot of begging going on in this story. The demons begged Jesus not to send them far away and Jesus complied. The townspeople pleaded with Jesus to leave them alone, and Jesus complied. But this man begged to go with Jesus, and Jesus said no. He did not comply. And that's my final question of why in this story. Why would Jesus tell him no? And I think that I know why this man so badly wanted to set sail with Jesus that day. Why he just wanted to sail across the sea with Jesus. Have you ever wanted to just start over? Have you ever dreamed of a fresh start where no one knew you? Have you ever longed for a clean break from your past, a new beginning with a clean slate where you could just be whoever you wanted to be without all of the baggage you left behind in your old life? Have you ever wanted to reinvent yourself? If you've ever felt that way, then you know exactly how this man was feeling in that moment and why he would want to just sail away with Jesus far, far, far away from anyone who would associate him 
with demon possession or madness or tombs or dead bodies. But this is where Jesus drew the line. In his deep love, he says no. In his deep love, he denies this man's request. Instead, he tells him to go and do the very thing that this man is attempting to run away from. Go home. Go home to your family. Go home to the people who knew you best and tell them everything that the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been, but you gotta go home. Go home. Jesus knew that full restoration for this man meant coming full circle, not escaping his past or even getting a fresh start or a, a fresh ticket to someplace new. That would not have meant true freedom for this man. Full restoration for this man meant being restored to dignity in his own hometown and among his own people. This man had a family and now they could be reunited because of what Jesus had just done for him. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus knew that for this man, fullness of life meant being reconciled with his family. Jesus saw beyond the surface of his need. He did more than deliver this man. He saw the bigger picture. He saw the whole person. This man needed to be welcomed back into his community, vindicated with his dignity, fully restored, absolutely free. And that kind of freedom was more than anything this man could have ever dreamed possible. But it was all possible now. Because of Jesus, all that was left for this man to do was obey. And here's our happy ending. That man did obey. He did just as Jesus told him. He went home and he told his family about the life-saving encounter that he had with Jesus, but he didn't stop there. It seems that he would tell anyone who would listen. He went through the 10 towns of the region telling his story about a man named Jesus his valiant defender who rescued him from total darkness, the darkest kind of darkness, and restored his life. I'm sure that this man carried the scars of his past with him every day for the rest of his life. He had literally slashed himself and mutilated his body with sharp stones. The enemy, the evil, the demons tried to destroy his body, but now his scars helped to illustrate the story of his dramatic rescue. He could be going from town to town saying, look at me, this was me, this is how bad it had gotten. But I was delivered from my torturers by a man I didn't even know, but he knew me. Somehow he knew me and he found me in that desolate place and he gave me back my life. He rescued me. Somebody say amen. Mark chapter four ends with a question. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mark chapter five answers that question with this story of a man who was so consumed by evil, who was banished to live among the dead in the darkest kind of darkness. Who is this man? He is the almighty, the all-powerful, all-knowing son of the living God. He speaks and the wind obeys him. At his word, the waves stop churning. He has authority over the natural world and he brings order to the chaos of the sea. 
And now we see that he also has authority over the spiritual realm. He speaks and evil must bow down. At his word, darkness must flee. He has authority over all things and brings peace and order to the chaos of our world. Who is this man who drives out darkness and brings freedom to those held captive by evil forces? Who is this man who gives new life so freely? Who is this man with the power to restore even the most hopeless and helpless of outcasts? Who is this man who moves into dark places and hopeless situations and has no fear? Who is this man who sees the full picture and loves the whole person and restores them to the fullest degree possible? Who is this man? He is our Jesus, our great defender. The people who sat in darkness, give him praise. We, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, some of us have been there. I've been there. For those of us who live in the land where death has cast its shadow, a light has come. A light has come. What does that mean for us today? It means three things. First, God knows you. He knows you. He knows where you've been and he knows where you are. There is no place too dark or too far. If you feel like you're in a dark place right now, I have good, good news for you. The light has come ashore today. Today is the day of rescue and salvation. Today is the day. Pray with us at the cross. Today is the day. A light has come. John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Jesus is the light that drives out darkness. Darkness can never extinguish his light. You are not too far gone. You are not a lost cause. You are not hopeless. You are not tainted. You are not ruined. You are not trashed. You are not damaged, but you are loved. You are loved and you are known by the one who has authority over all things, even your past, even your sin, whatever baggage you carry, you are loved and known by the one who has authority over all things. Secondly, if you're a follower of Christ, this means that you carry this life-giving light. You carry this light with you everywhere you go. Imagine if you understood that when you show up on the scene, darkness has no place to hide. You are the light of the world. Matthew 5.14, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it does what? It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And everyone means everyone. No one is too far gone. There's no such thing as a lost cause when it comes to Jesus, our great defender. So to whom can you carry this light? Who do you know that is still in darkness? Is there anyone that you would consider to be a lost cause? Let me remind you that they too are known and loved by the one who has authority over all things because he is Jesus, their great defender. 
Don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be intimidated by the dark. Can I tell you the darkness is afraid of you, church, because you shine brightly with the powerful and inextinguishable light of Christ. Prophet Isaiah said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. The light shines for you today. The light knows who you are, knows your name, knows your story. The light knows you. The light is with you. The light is Christ, our great defender. Pray with me. Lord, I believe that you want to do battle for somebody today. I feel it so deeply in my soul. The way that you stared evil in the face when you came up on the shore that day. The way that you drove darkness from its hiding place when you showed up on the shore that day. You are here. You are here with the power to deliver. I ask that you would continue to do the work and move by the power of your Holy Spirit. Do things beyond anything I could ask or think. Do what only you can do and be somebody's rescuer today. And for those of us who carry your light, oh God, may we not hide it under a basket. May we put it on a lampstand, Lord, so that it would shine for all to see. Lord, convict us if there's somebody we feel is beyond your reach and remind us that that is just not true. Your love goes to the ends of the earth. You are driven by compassion. And you're all powerful. And you have all authority. You have the authority. Remind us, God, that it is not by our might and not by our power, but it is by your spirit. Remind somebody this morning, Lord. Remind me that wherever I go, wherever I set my feet, the light just came ashore. Drive darkness out from its hiding place, and when it shows up, may we not be afraid, because you have all power and authority, and you are alive in us. We pray it in the mighty name of Jesus, our great defender, our loving and compassionate Father. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us/hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.